The Garden Question is a podcast for people that love designing, building, and growing smarter gardens that work. Listen in as we talk with successful garden designers, builders, and growers, discovering their stories along with how they think, work, and grow. This is your next step in creating a beautiful, year-round, environmentally connected, low-maintenance, and healthy, thriving outdoor space. It doesn't matter if you're a beginner or an expert, there will always be something inspiring when you listen to the Garden Question podcast. Hello, I'm your host, Craig McManus. Mike Cunningham believes that having a salad every day is probably one of the healthiest things you can do for yourself. In this episode, we will discover how simple, easy, and quick-growing greens can keep your salad bowl full all winter. Fresh, tasty, nutritional eating right from your deck, patio, or backyard sounds great to me. Mike and Judy Cunningham have been teaching people how to grow, cook, and preserve good organic food for over 10 years. Country Gardens Farm is a third-generation family farm growing a wide assortment of organic year-round vegetables for sale to the community from their three acres. This is episode 77, Growing Baby Salad Greens All Winter with Mike Cunningham. You're invited to engage with us on Instagram at the Garden Question Podcast. If you'd like to email me directly, the address is question at thegardenquestion.com. That's question at thegardenquestion.com. Please remember, your ratings and reviews are always appreciated. Mike, why grow and eat baby salad green? These baby salad greens are nothing I grew up with. It wasn't a thing when we were growing vegetables when I was young. As we started looking at different things to produce on the farm, we started growing some of these several years ago. They produce really well. They grow really good in our climate, and they're nutritious. We started looking up the nutritional information, and there's something about a young leaf that's getting the total sunshine on it, the new growth just emerging from the soil that makes those baby leaves more nutritious. They're tender, and because you're eating them in a salad, you're eating them raw, which you're getting all the nutrition that way. They're real tasty, and some things that you wouldn't eat as a bigger leaf, say a radish leaf, for instance. Sometimes we'll do small, tiny baby leaf radishes in our salad mix. It might be too strong as a full-grown leaf, but as a baby leaf just mixed into a mix, it works pretty good. What's a baby leaf? We consider a baby leaf anything that's like two to three inches, just a small leaf. We plant those seeds really close together, and they come up really quick. We're talking about 45 days from seed to harvest on a lot of those, and some of them could be even sooner than that, 30 days. A lot of them are cut and come again, which is a term we use for being able to harvest them and leave the stub or leave about an inch or so at the bottom, the crown of the plant, and they regrow again. Now, they're not going to regrow forever, but they do regrow, so that's a plus. Get at least two, three, sometimes more cuttings off of them with one planting. They have a lot of good reasons to grow them and a lot of good health benefits when you eat them. That sounds great. Where can you grow them? What we do here on the farm is we're actually growing them out in the field. We have beds that are 36 inches wide and various lengths, but most of them are about 100 feet long. Sometimes we'll only plant half a bed of one kind or another. So we may have 50 foot of baby kale, 50 foot of come and cut again lettuce, 
and then arugula and several others. We'll go over a list of all the ones you can grow in a minute. We'll grow them out in the field. We're feeding 150, 200 families a week. You don't need that much space if you're doing it at home. One of the easiest things to do is to grow these in containers. The pots that you grow them in do not have to be deep, four, six inches or so of spotting soil, then maybe 10, 12 inches across the top, then maybe have multiple containers because you want to go on plant these in succession, have more than one and done. You'll be able to cut several times off each pot. Then as that lays out, you want young pots of greens coming on. This lends itself very well to doing in containers on a patio or backyard. They're movable if you've got them in pots, and they don't have to be big, heavy containers. They can be small containers, just wide and not too deep. You mentioned succession planting. You're growing out your first crop, and then you start your next crop afterwards, and then you cut those. Then do you go to the next pot, harvest those? Rotating pots, this is what I'm asking you. The first thing you want to do is really to select your varieties. Play around with it and see what it is that you really enjoy eating and growing. Mixes always work good together. A lot of times lettuce is your main component, and then things like arugula, spinach, kale, Swiss chard, bok choy, beet leaves. There are a lot of Asian vegetables, Asian greens that lend themselves well to doing that. We buy from a company called Johnny's Select Seed. If you get their catalog or go online, look it up, they have a whole section on growing baby leaf greens. They have a lot of different varieties. Maybe some of those things you know you like or don't like, and you can start with them. If you're doing them in containers, container that's shallow, 10 to 12 inches across. It could be a window box type container, or it could be a bowl. It's what we use to demonstrate it here at the farm. It's just a round, shallow flower pot that's called a bowl. That works. So it's kind of play on words there. You got a salad, growing a salad bowl, (laughs) taking it out of the pot you're growing it in and putting it in your salad bowl to eat too. The soil that you put in there needs to be lightweight, well-drained soil, because if you're growing in containers, it can't just be a heavy soil that you dig up out of the garden. It needs to be a good quality, usually peat, perlite, vermiculite mix soil. One of the things that I've done over the years is I've experimented with putting compost in the potting soil. call it Mike's Mix. Now, we don't sell it, but we just give out this recipe. It's one-third compost, and we use a good quality compost like Black Cow that's available at a lot of the big box stores, spelled K-O-W. They have a cow manure compost. They have a mushroom compost from the mushroom farm, which is actually made from chicken litter. So I use one-third of a good compost and two-thirds of a good potting soil. Mix those together and add in just a little bit of organic fertilizer. And then we put some minerals in ours called azomite. A-Z-O-M-I-T-E. That is a volcanic ash. What I like to say is that's like your one-a-day vitamin where your organic fertilizer is like your meat and potatoes. The azomite just adds more minerals to the soil. And of course, the plants that you're eating out of that are absorbing those minerals, and that's good for your body as you eat them. Organic fertilizer that's probably the most available to buy locally, most areas will have it, is Espoma, E-S-P-O-M-A. That's a brand name, and then they have several different formulations. Just their standard one they call Plantone is good. They also have one that's designed for vegetables, but I've found that their Plantone works just as well as any of them for these uh, baby greens. Follow their recommendations according to how big your pot is and how much soil you're using. Add a little of that to it. That can be your mix. 
you want to pre-moisten that. I always tell people when they open that bag of potting soil, sometimes it can be really dry and dusty. If you try to put water on it right away, even though it may contain a wetting agent to help it absorb the water, it's sometimes in that very beginning, it's hard to wet. So if you've ever wet soil like that and seen it just kind of beat up and not really get soaked in, it's better if you take your hands and put it maybe in a bigger pot or a tote or something and add water to it and kind of mix that fertilizer in. You kind of massage in the soil as you do that. Don't get it to a soggy stage, but just to a pre-morsen stage before you put it into your container that you're going to use. That will help it absorb the water quicker. Then you're ready to sow your seed. Pick out your location. Needs to have some sunlight. I've never done it myself, but I've read about and seen people who grow these indoors under grow lights or LED lights. I suppose that works. There is no reason to go that expense and to take up that room indoors. A lot of these will grow outdoors just fine. Sunlight for greens is going to be somewhere between four to six hours minimum. If you've got that much sunshine, and of course, being in a pot, it's mobile. You can move it around some if you need to get it in more sun. You're ready to sow your seed. Your seeds are going to go in pretty thick. What we do in the field, we're sowing about six or eight seeds per inch. That's almost touching. That's pretty close. Then we're skipping over a few inches and say in a pot, you only skip over like an inch to two inches over and then you do another row. You can broadcast those. You could take your hand and just twin your finger and your thumb, roll them out of your hand onto the soil and kind of get a feel for it. You could just broadcast them over the whole pot and not do them in rows. We do them in rows in the field because we may have a weed or two come up and we got to get in there, sometimes more than one or two weeds. <laughs> but we go in there and have to have some way of getting in between them to cultivate them a little bit with a wire weeder. In a pot, you're not going to have that problem, so you could broadcast them. I always want good seed-to-soil contact. You don't want to just leave those seeds laying on top of the ground. You want to take your hand or something and pat them in, press them down. And then you can even take some of your potting soil and crumble it up and very slightly cover those seeds, less than a quarter of an inch over the top. Keep that wet. Some of these will come up in four or five days and start growing. Then they'll be ready to harvest anywhere from 30 to 40 days after that. Depending on how much of this you want, how many salads you want a day, how many people are in your family, how much of this you eat, you know, you would have to gauge on how big your container is and all that. That's going to be something you're going to have to kind of work out to see after you've done it a while, you can kind of figure out how much you need to do. Spring, summer, fall, you can get two or three cuttings off of every pot. Then you're going to have to start over again. And you can use the same soil that's in that pot, or you can have more pots that you've already got ready to plant or you take off your last harvest. You want to be sowing some seed two or three weeks before you have your last harvest off the one that you're cutting off of now. You just figure out how much you need and start counting backwards to how soon you have to start those seeds. Weather's going to have an effect on it when it's really cold outside. Cold, cold weather, down in the 20s, maybe 28 or below. You're going to need to give them a little bit of protection. If you're just having frost at 30 degrees, most of them will do fine. You can always cover them. We prefer to use some type of a cloth to cover with rather than using plastic. The reason for that is plastic will get really hot as soon as the sun pops out the next day. And if you're not right there to pull that plastic off, you get overheated under there. 
Also, when you're covering, if you can come up with some type of a arch or a structure that you can keep the cloth from touching the leaves of the plant, then you'll have better success in protecting it from cold weather. Covering during those extreme cold periods and because they're in pots and they're not that heavy, can move them to a garage or something like that if we were to have some extreme cold like down in the low teens or something like that. I've checked the woolly boogers, the little worms. My prediction is we're not going to have that real cold weather (laughs) this year. (laughs) So maybe we'll have moderate temperatures this winter. And then in the summer, almost as bad is the heat will affect them. When we get into those days in July when we're in the 90s and humidity's almost 100% and having little afternoon rain showers, that can be hard on them. If you can protect them somewhat from the late afternoon sun, We've done shade cloth and we've done sunscreens. Sometimes in a car, moms and dads will put up a screen on the window to keep the sun off the baby sitting in the chairs riding down the road. That's the kind of thing you want to come up with, some kind of a screen that just blocks off the sun from 2 o'clock in the afternoon on. If you got morning sun, the sun's strong, but the temperatures aren't quite as high in the morning hours. Therefore, it can take a little bit more of that morning sun, maybe shade it a little bit from the afternoon sun. How important is picking the varieties that you grow? There are certain things that you can't grow either in the summer or the winter, depending on what it is, so I would research that a little bit. The thing we can't grow here that I wish we could is spinach in the summertime, because as soon as it gets hot, it will begin to flower. We call that bolting. Then the leaves turn better, and and also the seeds just don't germinate good when we have above 80 degrees soil temperature. That's a fall, winter, spring crop for us. In the wintertime, a lot of the other things slow down. They don't grow as fast and don't germinate as good. And there'll be a time when we hit January, early February, late December, probably about 10, 12 weeks there, where you're not going to get the growth out of things that you do in the springtime and fall and summer. You'll have less germination, slower germination or slower growth that'll take place. So don't get discouraged during those periods of extreme hot and cold if they don't come up as quick. Got plenty of other time during the year that they'll do just fine. If you get your timing down and when to sow these, it's not a lot of work. Tell people gardening is kind of like taking care of a pet. If you have a dog or a cat or a goldfish or whatever you got, you can't just leave him and not do something to make sure his needs are met for days on end. It's the same way we're looking after a garden or these baby greens. You need to be consistent with it and look at them every day. If you're going out of town, you need to count for that. Or sometimes if you're growing in containers, it's really hot. You can set them down in saucers that have water underneath so that they can, through the capillary action, they can take up some water. But you have to have some mechanism for either a friend or somebody coming to look after them. Just gone a short time, you can do some things to mitigate that. They require consistent attention, but they don't require a lot of time. A few minutes a day will do it. Even when you're planting new seeds or harvesting, that take long at all. With just a little practice and knowing what kind of varieties you like best and what to plant, you could have a salad every day that you grew on your back porch. That'd be great. Yeah. Talking about the harvest or eating a salad every day, this is a cut and come again crop. When do you know when to cut it? What you're looking for is for the leaves to be full but small, really around three inches or so, taking off two to three inches and leaving about an inch. 
the whole plant maybe is three to four inches tall. It's going to vary a little bit with varieties, but that's kind of a rule of thumb. Some leaves are narrow and some leaves are fat, but two to three inches across. If you let it go too long, they'll start struggling, and the stronger ones will start getting bigger leaves, and you'll wind up with a leggy, spindly, more full-grown salad leaf, and you won't get as much production off of it, and they won't grow back as well either. You want to be consistent about harvesting those. It doesn't take long before they're ready, so you got to keep an eye on them. Harvest them pretty quick. When you cut them, you do want to leave about an inch at the bottom, so you're leaving the crown of the plant so that it can grow back. You're cutting them with just scissors? That's right. We actually, in the field, we have a machine that we use called a greens harvester. It's pretty neat. It runs off a battery-driven drill. It has a cutting bar in the front and a basket in the back. It's not attached to a tractor or anything. We do it by hand. Go through there and we can cut a whole bed of greens in just a few minutes with that. How do you handle the greens after you cut them? Post-harvest, once you get them cut, you'll want to take them in and wash them before you eat them. If you're growing in a container, you're not going to have much grit or dirt on those leaves. It could have been a rainstorm the night before and things could have splashed on it. So it's better to at least do one wash on them. If you're not going to eat them immediately and you're going to put them in the refrigerator, we like to chill ours first. So we gather them in the morning early. Then we put them in refrigeration in a plastic bag that's closed up. Then we wash them once they've chilled down. Just put them in some water in a bowl. Take your hand and kind of massage them a little bit so that any dirt or debris or anything that's in there will come out and go to the bottom and the leaves usually float to the top. Then we pour that off and then we put it into a salad spinner. What you're trying to do is you want the leaves to have good water in the cells. You want the leaf not to be wilted. You want it to have good moisture inside, but no water droplets on the outside. If you have a water droplet on the outside of the leaf, then you're inviting mold and bacterial growth and things like that that'll spoil your salad and it'll start to rot quicker. Put it in a salad spinner. The centrifugal force throws all the excess water droplets off the leaves. You may have to run it through there a couple of times. Then you can pack that back into a clean Ziploc bag and put it in the refrigerator, or you can eat it fresh right then. We found they'll last up to a week or more in the refrigerator if they're handled that way. And I've heard of people putting paper towels in there with it. Is that a good idea? You can do that. That kind of absorbs any more moisture that might be in there. So sure, if you've got all the moisture you can off the leaf, you can put something absorbent like a paper towel in there with it. That would work. All right, so these are cut and come again, but I've heard the term microgreens. How does this contrast with it? Microgreens are just a smaller version of the baby greens, <laughs> okay, like the name says, micro. Gears, you've heard of sprouts, like alfalfa sprouts that you might put on a sandwich or something. These are kind of like that, but we're not eating the root where the seed germinates. And sprouts, you're germinating those sometimes in a um, glass jar. You're eating everything that sprouts, the root in the top, and it doesn't really have any fully developed leaves on it. This is something a little different. So microgreens are sown in a tray, usually with soil. They can be done like on a mat, but we use soil. Then instead of the root, we just take the stem and the first two leaves, which are called your cotyledon leaves, seed leaves, and sometimes the next set. So it may have two to four leaves, and that's it. These are even quicker. So these are like a week to 10 days turnaround from the time you seed it to the time you harvest and can eat these. 
they've exploded in popularity in the last four or five years. People are seeing tremendous growth because of their taste and texture. Restaurants are starting to use them. People who are health conscious are using them more in their diet because of their nutritional value. They are even more nutritious than baby greens. You can do some of the same varieties of leafy greens, but you also can do things like sunflowers and peas. Mm. One of my favorite microgreens are sunflowers. You wouldn't think about eating a sunflower stalk. (laughs) Not at all. Although the deer like them. Whenever I plant sunflowers, the deer love to munch on the tops. (laughs) So that tells you something. The deer know that they're nutritious. The little sprouts are tender. They're not at all like what you think of a sunflower stalk. These are hardly big as pencil lead. Then they've got two to four leaves on there. They're crunchy and they're nutritious and they're tasty. We put them on as a top of our soups sometimes. We put them on our salads a lot. They can go on a sandwich. They can be eaten fresh by themselves. Hmm. Some of the other things that can be done that way is we've been doing microgreen basil. We sow the seed and let them come up two to four leaf stage and cut it. And then that gives you a little bit of basil flavor in whatever dish you're using. Usually salads. Sometimes Judy will do a caprese salad, which is cherry tomatoes and cheese. And she's got that recipe on the blog. I'm not the cook. I'm the eater. <laughs> so I how good it is. She'll use the little microgreen basils to go in there and infuse that salad with that basil taste. And that's really good. And you can do other herbs like that as well. You can do radish and cabbage, beets. You're not growing them for the beets or for the head of cabbage. You're just growing them as that little green that's going to be there, the first little sprout that comes up. Those are done very similarly as far as planting them close together, but you plant these even closer. You usually do these in a real thin layer of soil. So we have some trays that only have about an inch of soil. They're big, flat nursery trays that are 10 inches wide and 22 inches long. Put about an inch of soil in the bottom. And then we sow these seeds, and Judy's got it worked out now. She knows how many grams of each one, because each variety of seed will weigh differently. She has the grams it takes to fill that tray up. They're touching. They're just solid mass of seed all the way across. She'll even put one tray on top of the other and stack them for the first few days with a weight on the very top to hold some pressure on that seed. That encourages it to germinate because if you think about it, a seed in the ground has dirt over the top of it. And any farmer that plants seed, he always has a wheel or he has something that kind of mashes down on the seed to firm it into the soil. That's kind of what you're doing. That only stays on there for a couple of days, takes that off, and then they start to sprout and grow. Not much care to them, not a lot of watering. They need some light, but again, they don't need an awful lot of light to grow. There are a lot of people who do grow these indoors under artificial lights, but we've grown ours in a greenhouse the whole time we've been doing it. Or you can grow them outside. They're ready to cut with a pair of scissors in just a a week to 10 days. Of course, we're using a bigger tray because we're gathering more and selling them people we're providing them for, but you could also grow them in little small containers. One thing I've seen people do is take clamshells, the plastic clamshells they bought maybe blueberries in or something at the grocery store, take that and the ones that are vented, have little holes in them, work the best where they drain, Mm -hmm. put soil in that, put the seed in it, wet it really good, clamp the lid onto it for a few days until they begin to sprout, then take the lid off or open it up and let them grow do it in smaller portions rather than growing a big tray of them like we do at the farm. That works real good. Those are great things to do for kids too. 
something they can do and sit on the windowsill and see them growing and eat them and get that relationship between where their food comes from and how seeds grow and sprout. We've done a lot with our grandkids and been a lot of fun. Yeah, I guess if you miss the harvest time, then they just become salad greens. They lose a lot of their nutrition because you don't have enough soil there. It's important to get them at the right stage, and that's that two to four leaf stage. If you let them go, they're going to be overgrown and things just start to go bad pretty quick because they're too thick. There's too many in there. On the microgreens, can you grow everything year-round, or are there certain times you grow certain plants? They're very specific as to temperature. For instance, the sunflowers that we like to grow, you definitely can't grow those outside in the winter months. So they would have to be in a greenhouse or in a house with artificial light where it's warmer to grow those. The baby leaf of the spinach, it has to be grown in the cooler months of the year and not in the summer. There are specific requirements for temperature on all these. Best way I can tell you is to find out the ones that you want to grow, then do a little research in the seed catalogs and find out what temperatures they grow best at. Try to fit that into your schedule as far as when you're planting them. Fall and spring, you can grow most all of them. Summertime, you have to delete the cool season varieties, and wintertime, you have to delete some of your warm season varieties. Some variety can be grown 12 months out of the year. That's kind of a little bit of research you have to do yourself to figure that out. We buy from basically two different seed companies. We buy from others as well, but two mainly. One is Johnny's Select Seed. They have a great catalog. It tells you germination temperatures, growing instructions. They have a whole list of baby green varieties that do well, a whole list of microgreen varieties that do well. You can spend time in that catalog and it's a wealth of information. The other one is True Leaf Market. They're kind of new. We've been buying from them lately. I think their parent company has probably been around for a long time, but they've started advertising really heavily on the web. They do a great job. they got a big selection, and they also have some of the supplies that you need for your microgreens, containers and soil and different things. They do some of the supplies there. So those would be two good sources. They're really good for digging in to find the specific needs of certain varieties and how they'll do better than others. On a table in your backyard to get sun, you can grow both microgreens and baby greens for most of the year with just a little protection during the two extremes, hot and cold during the year. We've harvested them. It's time to eat. Have you got your favorite recipe for dressing or something to put on them? We do a very simple dressing most of the time. and We use olive oil along with apple cider vinegar and sometimes balsamic vinegar. We've actually started selling this at the farm stand. There's an olive grove down in uh, South Georgia now. They're growing olives in Valdosta, Georgia. So we're buying Georgia-grown olive oil. Maybe they've been doing it 10, 15 years. I don't know. Before that, I never heard of growing olives in Georgia. But they do grow there. I've even seen them as far north as LaGrange, Georgia. Not grown commercially there, but I have seen trees survive there. And then sometimes Judy will add mustard to it if you want a creamy dressing. She does have several recipes for dressings on the website and the blog. Usually keep it simple. We can always add whatever you like, fruit, nuts, cheese, whatever else you like to your salad to go along with it. I think getting in the habit of having a salad every day is probably one of the healthiest things you can do for yourself. And this way you can have a salad every day. That's right. Come buy it from Country Gardens. We don't think everybody's going to grow all their salad. We still have a demand for it.
like to teach more people to grow salad greens. Simple to grow. They're easy. They grow quick, so there's no time for disease and insects to find them. We really don't have much of a problem with that. If we do, sometimes in the fall of the year, you have a lot of caterpillars. We won't spray on a regular basis, but if we have to, we'll use something called BT, which is a organic, naturally occurring bacteria, not a chemical. It only affects caterpillars. Your pollinators are not coming to your lettuce because there's no flower there, so you don't endanger the bees and that sort of thing as much. BT is real soft on uh, other insects. It's not a poison. It's not harmful to humans either. We'll use that if we have little cabbage worms. Other than that, we don't have much trouble with insects because we're eating them too fast. (laughs) They're getting gone before the insects get them. Well, what other crops could we do at home or or are you doing it at the having a lot of success with there at the farm. Go along with the salads. We do some other things that grow, especially through the winter months. There's a salad turnip called hockerai. It gets about as big as a golf ball. If you've ever had purple top turnips before, they have pretty strong taste. Salad turnips are much milder. can be sliced and eaten raw in a salad, or they could be baked in the oven. Of course, their tops are turnip greens that you could saute with them. That turnip is really good to grow in fall of the year. Carrots are our number one seller at farm stand. If I don't know how many carrots I can grow. I've never grown too many yet. Some of the sweetest carrots you'll ever eat are grown in the cooler months of the year. The sugars concentrate down in that carrot. They really taste great. They take about two to two and a half months to grow. You should be sowing them while we still have moderate temperatures like September and October. Once they mature, they kind of stop growing in the wintertime. They actually can be stored in the ground. The carrots that you sow in September will be ready to pull and say, Thanksgiving. If you don't need them all for Thanksgiving, you can leave them in the ground for several more weeks and go out and pull some more for Christmas. They're like in cold storage in the ground. In the summertime, you have to be a little more proactive or the warm season because they continue to grow and then they'll split. You can harvest the carrots over a long period of time. They're sweet. Kids usually like really well. It's a good intro to get them to eat more vegetables. They can be spiralized or cut up or whatever for your salad as well. Beets, we do those in the fall of the year. Although they don't do quite as well going into the winter months, they can get damaged a little bit because that beet sits up on top of the ground a little bit. If you can get them in the ground and get them harvested by 1st of December, Those work good. They usually take about 60, 70 days to produce. A little bigger than golf ball size beet that time of year. Beets and turnips and carrots and radishes. The radishes are good to grow this time of year in the cooler months of the year. So all those root crops do really well and can be incorporated into your salads. You publish a lot of material. Have you got a blog or anything coming up with a lot of information? On the website, we've got a lot of how-to's. For growing different vegetables. I've got one on growing baby salad greens. There's a couple of videos on there that show harvesting, planting the baby greens. So you can go online and look at our blog for growing baby salad greens. Judy does a lot of recipes that she puts on the blog on the website. Her recipes are more organized by varieties of vegetables rather than desserts and entrees and that sort of thing. Mostly it's to teach people how to use a lot of the vegetables and meat, milk, eggs, and things that we're producing on the farm. Because not everybody sees the things that we sell in the same way that's presented in a grocery store. We've got peas and they're still in the shell. They may not know what that is. The question we get over the years is they pick it up, look at it, and say, what do I do with this? 
give me some ideas. Can I just start eating it or, or I got to cook it or how do I saute it? How can I use it in a recipe? She's developed a lot of recipes over the years to help people enjoy the fresh fruits and vegetables and milk and meat and eggs that we sell at the farm stand. How would people connect with you? We are located at 2050 Sharksburg McCollum Road, Noonan, Georgia, about halfway between Noonan and Peachtree City. We have a farm stand that you can visit and buy from us there. It's open on Fridays and Saturdays from 9 until 4. We're also on the internet, on Facebook at Country Gardens Farm, also on Instagram at Mike Cunningham 1529. And then we have a website, Country Gardens with an S, countrygardensfarm.com. There's a good place to find out about what's going on on the farm. We have events pretty regular where we do classes on the farm. We have days where we do Taste of the Farm, which is a time for people to come in and taste some different things that we're growing on the farm, different types of vegetables. My son also farms with us, and he does the milk, meat, and the eggs. We'll have a Taste of the Farm every so often. It'll feature something that we produce here on the farm. At the website, you can sign up for our weekly emails, and they'll tell you about the events and what's in season. Then on the website, there's an events page you can go to to sign up. If you are taking a class, you need to register for it. Taste of the Farm is just a drop-in that people do, usually on Saturdays. We're pretty easy to get a hold of. If you're over in Coweta County, Fayette County area, you need to come by and see us. You've been listening to Episode 77. Growing Baby Salad Greens All Winter with Mike Cunningham. Thank you, Mike. You're awesome. The goal is that every episode is valuable and well worth your time. Please generously share the Garden Question podcast with your friends, relatives, and neighbors. Check out our website, thegardenquestion.com, for links, resources, and where you can listen to every episode again and again. You will not want to miss a weekly episode, so please subscribe to the Garden Question podcast with Craig McManus on your favorite listening app. Keep on designing, building, and growing a smarter garden that works.